I know you. You are afraid to speak up. You are scared of what other people think of you. And you blame yourself for what happened to you. I know how it feels because I've been there. If you found me, I'm so grateful you are here. This podcast will give you hope. And I'm your host, Anna Ditchburn. I'm going to hold your hand and provide the guidance that I needed the most. It's time for you to find your why and turn your experience into your superpower. So lock your door, put your headphones in and enjoy. Cordelia Gaffar, welcome to the world's best trauma recovery podcast. Thank you. It's, I'm happy to be here. <laughs> Honestly, for the very first time, I don't know where to start and how to introduce my guest. You have so many unique gifts that I don't know where to start, <laughs> honestly. But I would love to share my experience of meeting you and why I uh, wanted to invite you to, to my podcast. The moment we jumped on the call, I felt, I felt like I've been in a very, very secure and safe space filled up with lots of love and light and joy and care. And you, I felt like you or my mom, like slowly hugging me <laughs> through the camera. And I, I just felt, I felt myself so present and so calm and just drawn into your energy. Mm. And I wanted, I wanted to share this experience with my listeners. Would you share with us who is Cordelia Gaffar in 60 seconds? And then we'll deep dive. <laughs> okay. I have learned to love and nurture myself deeply. And within that journey, I've allowed myself to experience various frequencies. And when I just chose instead of um, sinking into the depths of despair to experiment with going after joy, why not? Um, I thought, yeah, that's called joy mongering. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, the, the great thing about that is when you choose to do stuff like that, you get those experiences that could really make you go the other way quite quickly. Mm -hmm. And so um, as the Dalai Lama and uh, Bishop Tutu say in their book about joy, the only people that can truly experience joy have been through great trauma. And so uh, that's how I came up with my moniker. Yeah, I guess I answered that question, but I didn't so much answer who I am. Um, actually, I feel like I did answer who I am. <laughs> We're going to talk for a while so you get more. <laughs> it's more about who you are being yeah rather than than who you uh what you are doing 
Yes, yes. But I will jump into <laughs> <laughs> into who who is Cordelia Gaffar because it was a very humble answer to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> You are an author of uh, eight books. Yes. You are an award-winning uh, podcast host of, of your free-to-be show. And you also are a co-host of another two podcasts, including The Ultimate Coach. And you are an international speaker. And you are a mom, an amazing mom of six beautiful children. So... I wanted to jump straight into your book. Okay. The Detached Love. Transform your heart so you can transform your mind. Who is this book for? Mm. This book is for the woman who's detached from her, her heart. The woman who's uh, in autopilot into the doing. Um, she doesn't allow herself to feel too deeply because that would mean that her heart could break. Um, she, I feel, I would say she's unintentionally and maybe sometimes int intentionally performative in the way she shows up in her relationships, whether they're personal, intimate, or professional. And, um... She wants to stop, but she is on the hamster wheel of doing what's expected and accepted. And uh, she doesn't know how to stop. She knows that she needs to pour into herself. She requires more nurturing, more love, more compassion, but she doesn't yet have the vocabulary or know how to use her voice to ask for those requirements. And um, and she's dying slowly. Did you base this book on your own experience? Or on my own, because it sounds like me. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, it sounds like me, uh, looking like I have it all together. But inside, I was trying to, I was trying just to escape in a work, in a friendship, in you know, doing all this stuff, rather than just look inside me and really ask myself, who am I, what I want. So back to my question. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's me, and you know, when I started coaching seven years ago. I saw it in my clients too, because, you know, we attract who we are mm -hmm. and I still see it in my clients and, and, uh, I'm outside of judging myself about that. I'm like, okay, so I'm, there's still some of me still there and it's totally fine. I am on my healing journey and, um, I feel like the residue of who I was being has to be there a little bit to help the women that I'm meant to heal, you know? So, um, so yeah, it's largely based on, <clears throat> excuse me, my own life because I started writing this book. I mean, there are pieces of the book that come from journals from like back to 2010, you know, um, 
so I did pull in some stuff from then, but I'd say like I intentionally started writing this book in about 2017. And, um, and then I easily finished it as soon as I separated from my husband, um, like in six weeks in 2020. And so, and then I just turned it into the publisher. So it was like a four year span of my life. Yeah. And, you know, like clients, uh, stories and, um, you know, some of some, there's actually a chapter where there are three women that I actually interviewed and they're in there. And I think there's another piece where another client, I don't think I mentioned, oh, there's two of them. I didn't mention their names, but I, I put in basically their descriptions, you know, um, their lifestyle that is so like you may see yourself there too. <laughs> and then I, you know, with everything that I've ever done in my life, as I was going through different things, I research about it. So there's some research in there from, you know, from an Islamic perspective, because I'm a Muslim, uh, from, you know, the scientific perspective, from a fitness or a nutrition perspective, because, you know, I, I do have, um, a certification in sports nutrition and I actually I think I was completing or I had started my holistic practitioner certification during the time I was writing that book too so like there's a lot of stuff in there yeah it's a very interesting and very powerful book and I'm sure some some women um, and probably men are listening to your answer and think and thinking hold on did you just say say Muslim and she's divorcing and she's not wearing her hijab <laughs> like what was the reason you you transformed so the outer transformation is is also a mirror of the inner transformation right as i examine myself post separation and now post divorce <clears throat> i was looking for where have i been performative you know so, uh, you know, I chose to become Muslim, not because I married a Muslim, I was already on that path. Um, but my decision to wear hijab was related, I would say more to me being married because um, I, I was like the head of lots of committees, right? So like I homeschooled my kids for 17 years and, and uh, part of that is like I was head of Ummi and Me, which means Mommy and Me, like at the local mosque. And then I started a homeschooling, um, you know, committee or not committee, community in the mosque. And then I was, you know, uh, doing volunteer work and then the Ramadan children's program and then the summer program. And then I was a Quran teacher. And right. So I had to like dress the part. And, um, and then until I didn't have to dress the part. And even like, like after I got a divorce, I was like, well, I can't take off my hijab because my red hijab is my brand, you know, cause that's on my book. And I, you know, I just got back from Houston and I was like, should I bring my books? I'm like, of course I should bring my books, but people are <laughs> going to be like, you know, and someone actually did that. They like put up the book and they were like, this is you. And I was like, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's still me. <laughs> it's just no hijab, you know? And so, 
I would say it was a costume. Hmm. You know what? Uh, when I saw you without uh, hijab, and I'm not saying uh, to everyone to do this, but for me, you look much younger for some reason. Much younger and much brighter. It, it, you're right. It probably was like a costume. It wasn't your true self. Thank you for the question. You know, it's like I've only done a few interviews since I've taken off my hijab and and I never really thought of what the answer was ahead of time, you know, um, but I do want to say I, I want to tread lightly because it can easily be interpreted as part of my freedom right because my i have that's part of my brand too. achieve your freedom find your joy right take off your hijab nope that's not what that means it's like you know if that's if that's for you like if you're wearing hijab and that's that is not a costume for you and and you're there mind body and soul please keep it on right for me um part of my journey is that and I said this, I actually talk about this in my final uh, season three, I, I actually uh, unveiled during the last episode and I talk about it. I'm like, well, you know, I'm going to take it off today. Mm -hmm. I might wear it tomorrow. I do wear it actually when I do things that, you know, you wouldn't want stuff to get in your hair because it is meant to be a protection, mm -hmm. right? So like when I mow the lawn, I wear it. When I'm dusting my house, you know, I wear it, you know. Um, sometimes when I travel, I wear it because like, who knows what's on those airplane seats, you know what I'm saying? So it's like, <laughs> um, it, it's not like I'm never going to wear hijab again. And obviously if I go to like eat prayer, when I pray, when I go to the mosque, you know, those, of course I'm wearing my hijab, but it's like on a regular day-to-day -day thing, it's, it's freeing on another level. You know, I, look, I'm already black and I'm, I'm wearing dreadlocks right so like people have judgment about that and and just having a hijab on too sometimes it you know it, it was like even harder than just being a black woman in america you know so and i and i'm it's not even like i carry it as a weight it's just that i notice the difference now like people will look at me but at least i'm invisible I know like black women listening to this will know what I mean. There's an invisible thing that happens, right? So like if we go to a deli counter and we want to just um, have, you know, the deli meat or whatever, and we may be looking in the case like everybody else, there's usually, you know, another person who is not a person of color, male or female, and they'll n pretend that they don't see you and they might just knock against you. It's a microaggression, right? So that invisibleness I can deal with. But when I had on my hijab, the difference would be like, instead of accidentally bumping into me, they would stop, pause and stare. And then like, if they wanted to say something, they would yell because they'd assume that I don't speak English. You know what I'm saying? So I kind of don't miss that. <laughs> I sort of, resonate with you because um, I'm in America right now. We are in a beautiful uh, Delray um, in Florida. 
And when I came first time to America in uh, February this this year, 2022, uh, straight after Russian and Ukrainian war started. So imagine being Russian in America where like there is a huge miss, I think misunderstanding and uh, uh, some sort of the idea that Russians are evils being Russian for me and for people hearing my books. And- <laughs> <laughs> you, so you know what I'm talking about? Like they yell at you or they, they say something nasty to you. <laughs> they they literally blame me personally mm-hmm. for what's happening in uh, in Ukraine right now. Which is I I don't <laughs> don't know <laughs> like I don't want to comment on it, but I I do understand I, I understand you, and uh, I my tactic was I was just quiet, I was just quiet so no one can hear my accent. But my uh, my husband God bless him, um, every time people would hear his accent they would ask Oh where are you from? And he was like Oh I'm from New Zealand. And my my wife is from Russia. And oh my goodness! Like, He's proud of that. He's Bless so him. <laughs> He's so proud. And you know what what's happened, Cordelia? I I became a very proud that I'm Russian. And you know what? I think now people can feel my power. And I want to tell tell you exactly the same. It doesn't matter what color you are. It doesn't matter what you're wearing on your head. It what matters is what's inside you, because there will be always people, always uh, why like white people of color doesn't matter, who will judge you for something. And you know what? It's their own insecurities. Yeah, I mean, just to be clear, you know, I, I say that, and you know, but I'm me, right? Mm-hmm. So like when I noticed the invisible thing happening, just like when I was wearing my hijab, you know, mm-hmm. while they're stopping and pausing and staring or they're ignoring me, right? I just stop and I smile at them and I'm like, hi, how are you today? And you know, it's like my voice is very distinct. Yes. You know, and then people feel my presence and then whatever it is, whatever judgment they have, it drops. Now they're curious about me and who I am. So, you know, um, I'm, I'm not at all saying that I give up my power in those situations, you know. I'm just saying that it's a thing that mm-hmm. I'm aware of and I notice, you know. And, and that's why I said I don't wear it as a burden, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. I'm me and people recognize that, so. Oh, I love, I would love to expand a little bit on this topic. Okay. You know, um, again, based on my own experience, I would, uh, some people would jump into the jump, like judging mode and, you know, start yelling and screaming, like literally. And saying all these sometimes horrible words. And at the beginning, I was feeling a little bit like, I was feeling negative emotions actually. It was a fear and then anger would come up. And my question for you, Cardelia, how would you deal with those negative emotions and uh, responses? 
And why is it so important to release those negative emotions and feelings? Yeah, I mean, I became Muslim two months before September 11th, you know what I mean? So it's like I've been doing this for a minute and I had babies, right? So I was always having a baby in, in my carrier, right? And so I'm like, for the... Um, for, for my child not to feel the brunt of the negative energy, I had to have a bigger energy of love, right? Mm. And what I know from that is like, whatever radiates out from me, people can't help but catch it. And the people that don't catch it, they've got a real problem, you know, but that's their problem. You know, it's not mine. So uh, it, it does, it takes practice, you know? And so in the moment, and like I said, the baby was usually right there in front of me. So I just looked down. And I'm like, okay, deep breath and kiss on the forehead. Okay, sweetheart. And then just the love that I have, it's like, okay, I got to diffuse this situation. Mm -hmm. And I, I can't go into defensive mode because baby's going to cry, can't get my grocery shopping done. And that's going to be a problem. That's a bigger problem, right? Because then I can't cook dinner tonight. So that's Were where attacked? Were you attacked by oh, people? No, 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 just verbal oh. attacks. You know what I mean? But that was like, so that was my beginning practice to answer your question, right? Mm -hmm. So this is, I'm talking about from like 2001, right? Mm -hmm. I've been practicing, practicing this every single day, mm -hmm. right? Whenever I go out, I know that this is the drill, right? My love has to be bigger than everybody else's anger, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know? And so you practice that for what's it, 21 years? I don't really know how to explain it to you. <laughs> it's, it, I, I know what you mean. When, you, when you're full of love, it's like your protection. Around, around you love bubble that's and what i used to call it <laughs> love bubble yes exactly and i think people can feel it as well yeah why is it so important to release all those negative emotions and feelings rather than holding to them well like i said it, it's gonna kill you first of all <clears throat> you know um letting go of and and let me just identify what I'm saying when I'm saying letting go it's it's almost like a um it's not even a letting go it's like not opening the door to receive the energy in the first place mm. right and that part takes practice so I don't want to diminish you know the fact that that's you know you got to build that muscle but let's say it's on you right and um and you don't want to be carrying that around because the heaviness really can break your heart. It can um, cause you, um, well, for women, a lot of our trauma will go to our reproductive, reproductive system, right? Our organs. So a lot of women get fibroids from that. Um, they'll get, uh, they'll be infertile from that. Um, then moving up a little bit, right? It affects your immune system. So that's now on your digestive tract, right? You, people commonly have ulcers, right? Or irritable bowel syndrome, 
you know, mm-hmm. and all, ultimately all disappointment, fear, and just overall abandonment sits on your kidneys, right? That's your adrenal system. So um, that can, uh, you know, your adrenal system, now we're talking about the hormones and the thyroid and how many women have thyroid problems all of a sudden when they hit 40. That's, you know, it takes a lot of work for the adrenals to wear out, about 40 years worth, (laughs) you know? We are pretty, we, we are pretty resilient. Our bodies are pretty strong. Yeah. But if you're bombarding them with the trauma for 40 years, yeah, it will. Yeah. And so, and not even 40 years, like even if it's 20 years, it's a long time. But when you allow yourself to release that, um, as it's happening, then it stops the, the uh, debilitating effects that those negative, um, the negative energy that becomes part of your chemistry over time, and it changes your DNA, right? We talk about epigenetics. So that trauma changes your DNA over time, and you actually create disease in your body. But it, you know, and so just to give you an example, a lot of people, if they don't know that I have six kids, and I was married for 20 years and all that stuff, they often mistaken me for like 30s, you know, in my 30s. I have friends that I've known for about 20 years or more, and they look the age that they are, right? Or older, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because they're actually wearing the energy of every single infraction and trauma that's happened for their entire life. And they have the diseases to go with it. Oh, I love it. This is so spot on, Cordelia. People don't understand how uh, how heavy uh, it, it gets when you carry the trauma uh, longer and longer and longer and longer. And, and you're right. You, be, you, you start looking much older. When I, when I released my trauma for the very first time, my husband told me that... I look like a 15 years old girl and I behave like 15 years old girl. And yeah. I felt it. I finally was, was able to connect with my inner child. And this is the best thing I've ever done for myself. Cordelia, in your book, you are talking about five steps to self-nurturing. Hmm which is like like now uh moms with a lot of kids <laughs> come closer will come closer to the to the screen hold on six kids uh married uh eight books um uh, international speaker uh world's best uh and self-nurturing wow <laughs> Would you be able to give us an over, over, overview? What are those five steps? Yeah, sure. Most important thing you can ever do for your body is sleep. It's the number one metabolic stabilizer, you know? Um, and when you sleep better, the number two step will come into play quite easily. You'll think better, right? So your thoughts are... Um, <clears throat> you'll have good thoughts, 
you know, and it, it, it will be easier for you to uh, cultivate that. And the number three is you'll make good food choices, right? You instead of like, because you're not running on the hamster wheel in your thinking, then you're going to be on time with whatever you're doing in your day. And so you'll you can stop and pause and say, what does my body require? You know, it's like, do I get a Snickers, you know, or am I going to have, you know, like jollof rice in my case? <laughs> so, um, and, and so the number three thing is, you know, eating the proper food for your body. And number four is movement, right? Have I been sitting all day? Um, and it's just easier because you'll want to move because you'll have more energy. And then number five is once all four of those steps are in play, you'll be more aware of your emotions and without judgment. So, and even if it comes with judgment, then you can make a distinction in the moment a lot easier. So yeah, sleep, thoughts, food, movement, and emotions. Mm -hmm. And um, probably some some people listening uh, and asking, like, how can you do, how can you have a good sleep if you have six kids? you know or even two kids running around it's like it's impossible or eating a good food uh i'm i have i don't have kids yet but uh, i can see some of my friends they make a coffee for themselves in the morning and then they <laughs> drink it when kids go to bed <laughs> <laughs> that's all that's all <laughs> self-nurturing um what is your best advice how to make time for yourself you know, <clears throat> it's a choice. You can't take care of anybody else until you take care of yourself. What I'll put it to you like this. I'll tell you a story. When um, when I chose to quit working, was it then? No, actually, it was before that. When I when I was working, and I had a two year old. Well, she was like almost three, and then my son was like one. Right. So now these two are twenty two and twenty, but. I was still working and I came home. I was so tired after my commute and everything. And I had to cook dinner and I was like, oh my God. And I was like, you know what? It doesn't have to be this hard. What can I do in this moment to fill me back up, right? Just imagine I had the commute. It was like almost two hours because I live in the DC metropolitan area, had, you know, after that, pick up the kids, pick up my husband, come home, <clears throat> and then I have to cook. So, Kazila, may I pause for a second? Sure. I want to make two parts of the podcast because oh, okay, <laughs> it's long. <laughs> so, my my dear listeners, thank you so much for being with us, and I would love to divide this podcast on two parts. So for the to hear the the end of the story please jump into the second part of the, this podcast. Thank you for being here today. I know it's not easy. If you are ready to take this journey all the way, I can help. To find more about my unique method of turning your past trauma into your superpower or how to connect with me best, go to annadichburn.com. 
this journey isn't possible to do on your own. So make sure you like, subscribe, and review the podcast so we can help more people like you. And if you have someone in your life who is struggling to overcome their trauma, this is something you can give them that truly can change the course of their life forever. We'll see you next time for another episode of the world's best trauma recovery podcast. And just remember, you are able to help yourself and you can do it right now.